Hey, Scridge, are you already joined? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I oh, had a bit, bit of problem with the mic, but I've sorted that out. Oh, that's all right then. I'm just doing a sound check at this end, so I'm, I'm getting some kind of weird sort of snippy sound. Mm. Are you getting that too, Scridge, or am I just going mad? Bit. No, you're not going mad. It's a, it's a no. weird. No, no more mad than normal then. No, no more mad than normal. Okay, that's all right then. Wait, hang on. What if, what if this... Wait, would the... Open your Squadcast window. Has, has he joined yet? Open the... Oh! Oh, look! Zach's already joined! Hey, hey Zach, how are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. Just, you know, making some new artwork. Uh, yeah. It's snipping away. It's kind of tiring. Nice. Mm. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, hopefully hopefully, what we've got planned won't be too tiring for you and you can get back to the artwork. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm just doing my final sound do, check now, do, getting ready. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're already recording. Oh, for fuck! And welcome to yet another episode of the Waffling Tailors podcast. Woo! I am one of the hosts. Uh, it is Jay, and with me, as always, is Squidgy. Say hello, Squidgy. Hello, Squidgy. How are you, Squidgy? Hello, Squidgy. Are you well, Squidgy? Hello, Squidgy. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Um, as you will have probably gathered from the title of the episode um, and from maybe something we've added at the beginning, uh, we're not here by ourselves. We are very rarely here by ourselves, but we're with a special guest this week. We, we, we've got Zach with us. How are you, Zach? Doing all right. Glad to be here. Awesome, awesome. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. That may confuse some of our listeners because we've already in the so we're recording this ahead of time because of the whole time was it the time cast pod machine wibbly wobbliness? Yeah, let's um, go with that. Yeah, we've we've recorded ahead of time and there's someone else we've had on who's also called Zach. So there may be some confusion and he might be listening going, Wait, I didn't record a second episode. But hang on, so, the, the other Zach's Australian, so there's a massive difference. There is a slight difference, yeah. Mm. So we've got Zach with us today. We're going to be talking to Zach about a, a project he's been working on for a while now, um, which which is called Earthrend, and it has this wonderful hand-drawn aesthetic to it. I'm going to do a terrible job of introducing the actual project, so I'll hand that off to Zach in a moment. But before we do that, what I'd like to do is officially welcome you onto the show, Zach. It's great to have you with us. And uh, I hope that for the next hour, hour and a half, however long we end up recording, that uh, that we all have such a great time, but only time could tell, right? Yeah, I think it'll be pretty good. Excellent, excellent. So what we're going to do is, um, much like we always do, uh, we're going to talk about what we've been playing recently, and then we'll talk about uh, Earthrend. Hopefully I've said that right, but if not, then you know I'm sure you can correct me later. And then if there's time, we do a thing called the Thunder Plane Games, which we can come to in a, a, a later on when we come to it. But essentially, um, you get your we're going to take you to a desert island and leave you there with two or three games of your choice with all of the consoles that you might need or equipment you might need to play them. And you have to pick the games that you want to take with you. Help will be on its way, but it's going to be a little bit of time before it gets there because we're really horrible and we want to throw you onto a desert island, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but seashells and coconuts. That's it. Hmm. I can survive on that. <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, we'll find out soon, I suppose. But anyway, 
what I like to talk about when we do these episodes, when we do any episodes, is what we've all been playing recently. Because, you know, I'm I used to be a bit of a hardcore gamer in my like pre-teens into teens, and then I discovered university and got into the whole working thing. Um, and so my <laughs> video gaming has fallen drastically by the wayside. Hmm. And I usually end up with uh, recommendations from Squidge. So he's like, hey, you should play this game, or you should play this game. And so I go play those games, and they're, they're pretty good. Um, but what I like to do is talk about what we've recently all been playing, because then I can pick up some recommendations. So um, who who's going first, Squidge? It's, it's, guess first. it's always guest first. Oh, man. okay. So, uh, Zach, my question to you is: What are two or three of the the games you've recently playing been playing? Sorry, and are they any good? Uh, yeah. So I've been playing three different games lately. Two of them you probably know about a lot. Um, you definitely know Minecraft. Um, hmm. everybody knows Minecraft at this point. Uh, but also uh, Factorio. I finally started playing that multiplayer for the first time in years. Now it's been. Um, and then the other game I've been playing is Danganronpa. I don't know if you know that one. It's uh, kind of an anime style game where it's like a murder mystery, uh, but it's constantly ongoing with new murders. It's uh, pretty good, I'd say. All of them are. I've especially liked Danganronpa because it's a sort of story-driven game, and I don't really play those too often. I play more sandbox style. And if you ever want like a murder mystery where there's always somebody dying, almost like Among Us, but <laughs> like with the story, I guess... Um, Check out the Ding and Rampa series. Cool. I may have to check those out. Uh, I do know that uh, one of the things I've noticed, so um, outside of podcast times, I'm a, a developer, um, much as I guess you are, uh, Zach. Um, and I've noticed that a lot of developers love to play things like Factorio and Human Resource Machine and essentially games that are programming but gamified. Loads of developers like to do that to sort of, hey, I'm going to continue doing my workday as a hobby just to chill out for a bit, which is uh, an interesting situation to be in. You know, you don't usually find musicians who will go to, uh, you know, a, uh, a session gig, record all day, then go home and go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep playing my guitar because that will make me feel better. Very, very, you know, that doesn't happen so often. Uh, but yeah. It's it's a strange strangeness in the programming and development community. I think I'll have to check out the Danganronpa games because this is the fourth time I think someone's recommended mm-hmm. the, recommended them to me. Not just on the show, but like in you know people will be like, "Hey Jay, you should check these out." So oh, I'm well. going to have to check them out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've recommended it before, but I couldn't remember the name. Ah, that'll be one of the recommendations then. But that's cool. Um, so do you want to go next, Squidge? What have you been playing? I can do if you want. I mean, it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's nothing as uh, as as exciting as a murder mystery or building factory robots in Minecraft to ride pigs with saddles. But you know, um, I've obviously this will date the recording, but a couple of days ago, the new Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity released on Switch, and I've been essentially bashing people over the head for a couple of days, um, which is no more usual. Than what been, I do, yeah. Yeah, he's not been playing the game. He's just been wandering around hitting people with frying pans, right? No, a plunger. I'm not that evil. Anymore. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, it's more of a plunger. Um, but yeah, so, so there's there's that. There's um, you know that that's that's uh, that's quite good. It's mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not quite sure if I like that one or the original Hyrule Warriors more yet. I haven't played too much of it. Mm-hmm. So there's that. There's um, new season of Diablo three has dropped, and I'm. Nearly finished with it, to be honest, because it doesn't take that long. Uh, and apart from that, that is, there's, there's that and a bit of Sonic I played earlier on. That's about it. 
So bashing people over the head, bashing people over the head or running really fast. That's been my recent activity. And if I could run really fast and bash people over the head, it's just it's just two beds one stone, isn't it? It'd be easier. Saves time. Would that be the best game ever? <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um interesting that you brought up Age of Calamity. Again, it dates the recording, but yeah, you I think it unlocked on your Switch like two or three days ago. Uh, for future reference for people listening, um, we have a, a a bit of a situation here in the in the UK and Switch came over just before the situation recently happened and so he's staying with us until the situation ends um and so we're you know we're doing that um so we were sitting here i was sitting up doing some work and he's like oh hey it's unlocked and he just started playing it and i was like oh i should look over here and see what you're doing so because uh yeah the 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 first hyrule warriors game went on for ages like you still haven't got you got it on the day of release and you still haven't unlocked everything have you no wow that's a lot of content I have read, uh, I think it was on Reddit earlier on today, that uh, Age of Calamity has outsold Hyrule Warriors by 342% already. Sweet. Wow. Yeah, well, it's because they marketed it as, here's the the prequel for Breath of the Wild 2. So everyone who hadn't played Hyrule Warriors but wants a Breath of the Wild 2 has gone, well, I better buy this game then, don't I? Well, it's it's a prequel to Breath of the Wild. It's set 100 years before everything. Oh, okay, Breath of the Wild. Sorry, I'm I'm not a huge Legend of Zelda knowledge person, so I'm not either. Uh, I just like bashing people over the head with plungers. <laughs> there wasn't a plunger in the game, but I did pre-order it, so I've got a, a ladle, and that's my main weapon with Link. He's running around slicing people up with a, a huge elongated ladle. I just find it funny. The, the cut, the cut. That's pretty brutal. Yeah, the cut scene to there. He stood there. And he's sort of like defending everyone. He's got a pan lid, a wooden pot lid on his left arm. And right hand has got a, a ladle pointing towards a bad guy, as in try it, you know, because obviously he doesn't speak, apart from the the, the obligatory screaming. But you know he's there yeah. with a with a with a ladle, and I thought I could give him a sword, but this looks funnier. <laughs> That's fair enough. Okay. Max for me. So, would you recommend those squidge? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a good one, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, it's been a light load for me this month. Um, it's been Borderlands pre-sequel that I've been playing through the DLC that was available for that. What's it called, Squidge? It's something, something Claptrap, isn't it? Something to do with Claptrap, yeah. yeah. I can't remember and what You it go is. into Claptrap's head and you do a whole um, Tron-like bit where you got to run around inside the computer. Uh, but that's been kind of fun so far. Um, and... I've gone back again to uh, the Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney games on the Nintendo Switch just because I love those games. The, 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 the control system's pretty simple. Apart from one or two of the hidden object puzzles and the logic puzzles, it's all pretty plain sailing, you know? It's not. It's something I could just put on. I could chill out to the music and just... T- you don't even have to use the controllers. You can just hold the screen part of the Switch without the controllers connected and just use your finger as a stylus. It's brilliant. But anyway, that's that's what I've been playing. And uh, yeah, how you, annoyed you are, you just nut the screen. <laughs> I mean, wait, have you been watching me play it? Of course I have. I've Again? been in the same room as you. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that uh, that uh, Squidge and I have been doing a lot recently is we recently got some Raspberry Pi 400s, which is a Raspberry Pi inside of a computer. Now, again, this dates the recording because people are going to be all over this by the time it comes out. I'm just showing it to the camera for Zach in case he's interested. Uh, it's a Raspberry Pi inside of a keyboard 
Um, and it's really rather good. Um, we've been playing around with things like Jellyfin for media streaming, and um, I've gotten Squidge to write a video game, and he's not a developer, so he wrote a game in Python on there. And um, we've got uh, we've been playing around with uh, RetroPie on there, and all sorts. So it's been a good couple of days, hasn't it, Squidge? Mm. Yeah, okay. tinkery days. Yeah, yeah, right. There's nothing wrong with a bit of a tinker every now and again, mm. within reason. <laughs> <laughs> within reason behind closed Actually, doors <laughs> uh, of course of course so yeah have you been taking around with anything hardware wise recently zach uh yeah actually not really <laughs> yeah. um i don't know if you ever heard of ben eater uh they have a youtube channel where essentially they're making um a computer out of a breadboard and little pieces of circuitry and i'm not normally into like actually making stuff but that almost convinced me to look into getting some electronic stuff just to see if i could make some pretty fun stuff. And I always like to look at stuff in Factorio and Minecraft whenever they make computers where you're technically not supposed to make computers. And mm-hmm. it's always interesting to me, but I haven't really gotten into any of it myself, but I might in the future. Mm, that's I, cool. I actually thought you said out of bread. I'd be really impressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but MacGyver up a, a, a PC out of bread. You know, yeah, could bread. make a computer out of marbles, actually, if you planned it out enough. Yeah. Kind of wild, though. I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> One heck of a Rube Goldberg, but there you go. Yeah. Um, uh, if you're interested in that kind of thing, Zach, um, I recommend looking in, I think it was called NAND to Tetris or something like that. Someone had built hardware that plays Tetris, but from literally from the ground up, making individual logic gates. And this machine takes up a whole room. And it's like, yeah, it's playing Tetris. It's, it's, it's just a whole room. It's a whole room of hardware. It's ticking away. It's wonderful. Definitely more impressive than a guy running Doom off of 100 potatoes. <laughs> Those are both impressive. Mm. Yeah, right? Yeah, the, the most impressive thing about Doom, I, I keep bringing it up, but I'm really blown away by it, <laughs> is the source code for Doom is so just just absolutely... The reason why Doom keeps getting ported to everything, I'm not going to count the official Nintendo Switch port because that's actually a rewrite in uh, Unity, but um, the the actual ports that happen of Doom happen because the code is so well written. It follows all of the principles we talk about in uh, in modern development, like Solid and, um, and just segregating everything. It's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful um and i'd recommend if anybody wants to up their game as a developer go read the source code or there's a book called game engine black book doom totally check that out because it's um it's a teardown of the source code but also the decisions that went into how they build up the game and a discussion on the hardware that was available at the time like they were originally going to make it as a mac only game but then it came out on windows because it was easier to to sort of program for those it's it's really totally worth giving it a read it's it's wonderful mm. yeah i could probably take a page out of that book or two <laughs> <laughs> i'm not the best of the stuff but I, I try to make sure my code isn't a complete spaghetti mess i mean everyone ends up that way trust me everyone ends up that way i've been doing it for almost coming up on 15 years and everyone ends up that way you know it's just a it's a case of um of uh of practice and experience and yeah but yeah, I would definitely recommend taking a look. It is it is in the C with a little bit of assembly, but everything gets explained along the way. So I feel like maybe a a novice developer would be able to read it, but maybe not someone who isn't a developer. I'm not sure that it, that's the target audience, but definitely developers can read it. 
for sure, regardless of their of their programming language. But that's me dilly dallying off into programming language. Well, that's my other podcasts. <laughs> so uh, okay, so we're going to talk about we're going to talk a little bit about Earthrend. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. You have been, yes, yes. Awesome. Achievement unlocked. I can talk. Excellent. <laughs> So I guess so. I've said earlier on that because uh, Squidge and I were playing the demo a few days ago, and uh, and it is it's a wonderful, um, wonderfully uh, I think innovative hand drawn aesthetic. I don't think there's that many other games that are that are very. I don't want to say very obvious that they're hand drawn because I feel that, that that comes across as a negative thing, but it is all of the assets you're looking at are hand drawn and you can see like where you, there's like shading being done with a, with like a pencil. It's really good. But the only sort of similar thing we've got at the moment is either cell shaded or what I call the Fortnite treatment. That's a specific mm. art style. Like um, so the game that's coming out, the remake of 13, First person shooter that's had the Fortnite treatment, which I'm annoyed at because that's not that's not comic book. It's meant to be a comic book game mm-hmm. where when you shoot your gun says "bam" above it. You know that kind of old school comic book, and they've, they've just give it the Fortnite treatment. I don't I don't see that working to be honest. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's a different art style. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. It's a unique one, oh, definitely. So, um, could you give us a bit of an intro into Earthrend, like what the game is, what the game is, what it's about, the kind of game it is, just for because obviously Squidge and I have sat and played it, but the listeners may not have. Yeah, uh, so Earthrend essentially is a hand-drawn, as you said, a sort of handcrafted uh, sort of adventure that kind of riffs on the Metroidvanias and is inspired heavily, I would say, by the Zelda series, and is kind of my take on what I feel would be like. A really good Zelda game, or at least what I would hope for the game to eventually become. Um, and essentially, you have to go around this world and relight these fires to revive these huge giants, which are kind of it's also inspired from like Shadow of the Colossus style things. And it's essentially you're like a pawn between these two different groups of massive giants, sort of like almost like Greek mythology of dealing with like gods and demigods sort of thing. Um, and that's kind of the basis of the game, I'd say. Okay. See, I, I do have um, written down in my notes that it feels like it's on the scale of a shadow of the Colossus because the the first couple of areas that you're in, uh, in the version of the game that Squidge and I have played, are just, they're, they're, they're so huge. And like when a big enemy comes in, the camera zooms all the way out and you can see just the scale of the areas. And, you you know, your character becomes teeny tiny. And uh, yeah, it's it's really quite cool, I have to say. Okay. Yeah, um, I want to play with the camera a lot in the game to really sell the idea that the player is just this tiny little speck in this world. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think that's a thing that gets played with enough in video games. Like um, in the video game, you as the player, the avatar for the player is the center of the universe. Everyone talks to you. The adventure happens because you make it happen. Whereas this idea of look at how big this place is, let me zoom all the way out and show just how small and inconsequential you really are. I don't think that's something that's been played up much in video games. So yeah, I love that idea. I definitely got from the um, the feeling from the demo, especially the uh, the monster that was chasing me towards the end of it. It's kind of like 
do I try and attack it? Do I try and dodge? I've, I've got the I've very much got the vibe of you're a, you're a Yorkshire Terrier attacking an elephant. You know, it's uh, the 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 cards are stacked against you. You know, I definitely got that vibe, and it was you know trying to figure out how to do it and what have you. But you definitely get that sense of you are small compared to everything else. Yeah, that's just a mini boss too. So I'm mm. hoping to make the full on bosses like like full on size, similar to Shadow of the Colossus, where you have to maybe potentially maneuver around the boss itself as part of attacking them and such. And I'm glad you got that kind of vibe from it. That's kind of what I was going for with it. I I want the mini bosses and bosses to be really intimidating. That's cool. Um, yeah, so I should I should point out that we've played the demo, which currently is available on itch.io. We'll put a link in the show notes and stuff, but uh, you know we'll give you a chance to shout it out at the end, Zach. But uh, yeah, it is it is available as a demo. Um, as far as I can tell, when we grabbed it, it was a pay what you like demo. But you know, I'll I'll let the listeners decide what they want to do with that. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, so we've. So we've talked a little bit about what the game is, and I've said, you know, it's got this wonderful hand-drawn aesthetic, and you use the, the phrase sort of crafted. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, like, how the idea came to you or how the project started? Like, you've said that it's heavily influenced from, like, Metroidvania and Zelda and with the ideas of Shadow of the Colossus, that huge uh, scale. But, like, yeah, so we'll start with how did the project come to be? I've got a couple of questions around this, but how did the, how did the project start, like... That's a complicated question. Uh, that's a good question, um, actually, too, because the first started, like, in terms of the art style, it started because I had made a game for, actually, my girlfriend um, that I decided to make hand-drawn because I knew she liked that type of stuff, and I just wanted to experiment, and it was a really small, simplistic style game compared to, like, um, Earth right now, I would say, where I experimented, and I found out, hey, I can actually make things through drawing them, and I wasn't sure if I'd be able to do that. And then after that, I was actually thinking of making a game based around the themes of pirate metal, um, like the kind of musical genre and having a hand drawn and such where you can go around on a ship. And I kind of experimented with that for a while, but then the idea just kind of died down and I had to focus on school and everything and college. Um, and also just to note earlier, I totally understand having to not focus on any gaming or anything with college um, from my experience. And then... Uh, the next semester over, I had a bit more time and had a bit more creativity, and I kind of went back to my roots because ever since I was very young, I've always wanted to make my own sort of Zelda-inspired game, and I thought maybe I could experiment with making some music, and with the music, I made some artwork for it, and I used Unity to kind of show off the artwork for the music that I made. It wasn't the best of music, but the artwork itself stayed. And from there, it kind of just organically grew into me making this game based off of all of these different ideas and stuff that I've grown over time. Um, so it just kind of started through a different series of stuff kind of going on in my life, leading to me just working on it next thing I knew. Cool. Cool. Because uh, I was going to uh, you know, ask a question later about the music, because I know that you know, you'd know created the... Uh, I felt like it was you'd create the, the majority of the graphic assets, but obviously you've just said you created all of them. So that's pretty cool. I do have a question about the music later and, and like how um, it's all so far, the bits that I've played and the bits that I've seen feel like they're very much all handcrafted ex uh, uh, explicitly by yourself. Like almost no one else is involved. 
Um, there's one other person involved. Um, I started by making the music myself, but I was kind of bad at it. And so <laughs> I found someone who wanted to help me make the music and stuff. Um, you'd have to look them up, Sandra Tolner. I'm sure they're fine with me saying their name here. I hope I said their name right, but um, they've actually been making the music for me and everything you hear from the game is uh, made by them in terms of the music. Right. I still need sound effects, but um, yeah, they handcrafted all the music themselves. Um they're a music major at a different uh, university for me, but um, I, I really like the work they do, and I think it goes really well with the game. And I'm glad it kind of made you feel like it was all handcrafted. Um, so that means that the vibe that he's giving with the music is working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so y- you mentioned a lot about uh, Legend of Zelda and Metroidvania and Shadow of the Colossus and a couple of these other titles, but what, were they the only influences? Were all of those the influences? And um, and the other slightly spikier question is, did you have any, you talked about how the original idea was to make something that's very much pirate metal style. Um, is there anything that sort of is like a holdover from that? Or did you just scrap everything and start again? Um, with the pirate metal stuff, I kept a lot of the same code base because I worked on the code and stuff over time for that. That also came from the video game I made for my girlfriend at the time. And so that actually, I kept a lot of that stuff. And, um, beyond that, actually, I didn't keep a lot of the art assets or anything. I don't think I used anything from there because I used a different style of pin and such. And I I used, um like a mix of uh, brushes and um, pencils. Whereas with the new game, I'm just using pencils um, and a new different type of brush pin instead of more like a writing pin. Um, and the, what was the first question you asked? I'm sorry. Oh, it was about the, uh, the influences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. I, I tend to do this. I'm like, here's a whole bunch of stuff, which is no good for you because you've got to sit there and remember it. And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> I don't know what he's asking. Oh no, I have to pull these memories out of my head. So I apologize <laughs> for that. But it's a, a question about like influences because you'd said Metroidvania, the uh, Legend of Zelda, the uh, Shadow of the Colossus, and the game that you'd previously made uh, that was just for your girlfriend and a little bit of the pirate metal stuff. But was there anything else that sort of influenced it? Um, I would say, well, specifically Hollow Knight in terms of the Metroidvania, because honestly, before that, I hadn't really played too many Metroidvanias, just, um, but then Hollow Knight kind of opened my mind to what 2D can do, like, at a big time, and that was a big influence specifically. I know that still kind of falls under Metroidvania, but I guess just as a kind of clearing up specifically what comes to mind with that statement, um, just a lot of different things, like even, um, outside of video games i'd say i don't know if you know too much about dwarf fortress um but there's this one person who makes videos about it krug smash where they hand draw everything uh that was a huge inspiration for even trying to make the hand-drawn art um that too with a uh, cuphead and mugman uh mm. that video game i never played it but just seeing what they did with thinking everything hand-drawn in terms of the art style and everything like that i thought that was really cool and i wanted to kind of experiment with it myself uh, granted, I have a different animation style and a different look and everything, but mm. that game is really awesome too. Um, I would say those are the biggest factors I can think of off the top of my head. Um, I'm sure there's more that goes into it. And over time, I get different ideas and stuff from different games I play, like uh, Ding and Rampa. How it how it looks in that game is a very 2D look as well, um, where a lot of things spring into life. And there's probably going to be some ideas coming from there. And lately I've been experimenting with adding in lighting and uh, shadows and such into the game and Link's Awakening, the reboot on the Switch, where they have it to be very kind of, I wouldn't say toy box like, but kind of 
I guess kind of toy boxy. Um, I kind of want to experiment with making it look like it really is like a storybook come to life as part of the look with it. And I'd say that is potentially another influence specifically. Cool. Definitely that, that 2d side scroller feel. I'm guessing that would be, there'd be a degree of, um, well, I'm guessing it's going to be a lot easier trying to do that than trying to get fully 3d environments, camera angles and all the rest of it. You know, dealing with cam- uh, boundaries and you know the cameras jumping through walls because that's always a nightmare. Um, but the 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 two D, I'm not saying that doing the two D games any easier. It's just a different set of challenges. You don't have to worry about the cameras clipping through walls and all the rest of it. But yeah, it's uh, I, I can I can see a lot of the inspiration. I can see where you got it from. Yeah. I just want to make sure it doesn't come off as like a complete copy because there's a lot of um, unique stuff that we'll probably get into more talking about that I feel, I hope, will make the game a bit more interesting than just kind of a clone of, say, uh, Hollow Knight. I mean, I how do I put it? Um, the, 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 the clones of stuff can also bring something new to the table, I guess, is how I'm trying to think about it. Um, you know, we wouldn't be anywhere in our, in, in our society if, if somebody hadn't gone, that's a great idea. I'll do that again. But from my perspective, you know, um, you think about, uh, literature, you think about mu- music, most definitely. If you think about like the top 10 pop songs, they're pretty much all the same, you know? Um, and, and that is quite literally because they're algorithmically controlled these days, but like, <laughs> no, the, the composition is all algorithmic. Um, there's an interesting story about that in that I think it was Warner Brothers had developed a, a, an algorithm back in, I want to say 2004, and uh, for, for deciding whether a song was going to be a hit or not and whether they should put all of their effort into marketing it. And there's this wonderful story of... Um, it was around the time of Hey Ya by Outcast, and they put that song through the algorithm. Yeah, oh, no, it stinks. It's going to be the worst song ever. Then naturally, of course, they didn't advertise it at, at all, but it became this huge sleeper hit. It became huge, and it was all over the radio, and it's been in movies and, and, and video games to a certain extent, and it's a cultural touchstone for a lot of people. So, you know, they get it wrong is what I'm saying. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah, I, I totally... I. I wouldn't mind playing a clone of a game if it was well put together. You know what I mean? And like you say, you can always bring something new to it, but that, that bring, Oh, sorry. So, oh, sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, just, yeah, I totally agree with that idea. Like improving on stuff and doing it from your own perspective. I just don't want it to seem like it's like a cash grab or anything specifically, because sure. it's going to be very similar in a lot of ways, but there's my own twists and such that I feel will help make it like its own unique thing. Whether or not people see it as a clone is up to them, I guess. Um, but yeah, it will be bringing stuff to the table, and I think it'll be warranted. Like it'll be, it's it'll be fine. <laughs> Let's talk about these graphical assets inside the game. So when when I talk graphical assets, I mean like. Because we're talking 2D, right? So we're talking like the sprites and the backgrounds and stuff. Um, and I guess to a certain extent, the the movies that happen as well, I guess they've been rendered in something as well. But like, I, I genuinely mean it. The hand-drawn aesthetic for this game is is wonderful, right? It just proves that you, there's so much that you can do with just a 2D plane, right? It looks like 
like it's being crafted in front of me, if that makes sense. You know, like uh, I said earlier on, you know, you've got the shading on the trees and, you know, you can see that uh, there's an outline to everything because it's, it's hand-drawn and then presumably you've cut it out and scanned it. I'm not sure. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, it's kind of a process. I actually don't cut it out. I um, I cut it out, metaphorically speaking, in terms of actually making it when I edit it in GIMP, which is the program I use to edit the sprites. Um, so yeah, so first I take like a sheet of printer paper and then sketch over it with a pencil, the different things I want to kind of make like say a sprite sheet. Then depending on the colors, because some of the pencils I use, some of them, if they're lighter colors, they kind of bleed over the actual um, uh, pen ink if I try to use them afterwards. Um, so just depending on it, I will either color them first or I will actually um, ink them in as well, which I feel like adds a lot of character too, because with the brush pens, it's a bit easier for me to actually ink stuff in. And then I can actually give a bit of character and stuff by making some of the lines a bit different, you know, maybe, you know, just a little bit of variations here and there. And then I color it in. And then I have an old scanner I use. It's not the most uh, fancy of things, but it's what I got. I slap it in there and then wait for about, I'd say, 20 seconds or so. And then it comes into the computer. And then I send it off to GIMP where I remove the background. Um, I just kind of, uh, what is it called? Like a magic thing where you just click on it and it gets rid of the background. And then I get rid of any specs that it might have missed. Um, Say like if I accidentally left some eraser marks on there or anything, and then maybe I'll tweak the brightness and contrast a little bit to kind of give it a little bit of extra pop to help make sure it looks nice for the game, actually. Because otherwise, the colors somewhat come out a little dull, if I'm not careful. And I want to make sure that the game has really nice visuals. And then from there, I just edit it like you would a, norm- a normal sprite sheet. Cool. One okay. thing I did notice when playing it was probably because certain sections you're on a timer is, um, as I was you know, beasting through it and what have you. It's, I didn't notice at any point where the background was standing still. There was always something moving. That's one thing that just caught my eye instantly. There's always something moving, whether it's a cloud or a vine or something like that. There's always something moving. And it's the the amount of games I've played where the background was just flat and dull. And it's it's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like graphics in any game, you know. You can you can have really good gameplay, and the graphics is there. But if you've got really good gameplay, and you don't have the graphics, that's the first thing people complain about, you know, that kind of thing. Where it's it it's it's constantly got a feeling of flow, even when you, you're running through and trying to be as quick as possible. You've got that constant flow just because of the background moving. It's uh, it's yeah, it's a nice touch. Thank you. I actually render the game in 3D with a perspective camera, and then I place things on different levels in the background. I've been actually experimenting to help make the background look a bit more, um, how do you say, I guess kind of adding a depth of field effect by having the background a bit more blurred and stuff. But I'm wanting to have like animations and stuff in the background and just different sort of... um trying to find the right word here, just like different sprites that are at different levels and such, what's it called, a parallax camera? So just yeah, trying to yeah. add that effect yeah. kind of uh, organically through just having it straight up actually just be 3D um, on the actual engine level. And uh, I'm glad that you noticed that because I want to make sure that the game really does feel kind of alive and like there's stuff going on in it and you're not just, I don't know, just some static flat world. Mm. Oh, it's working, you can tell. It's 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 somewhat for, when you're playing it, it's somewhat for your peripherals to, to notice, which a lot of games don't do. <laughs> 
Thank you. Yeah, it, it can really just subtle things can make um, a scene or a screen you're looking at just pop. And I think, yeah, throwing in some subtle animations and maybe something happening in the background as you're running through, you go, oh, wait, what was that? You know, it's like uh, one of the reasons why uh, Squidge mentioned earlier on Sonic the Hedgehog, right? You can see it more in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. But there's a there's a parallax going on in that just to make Sonic m- look like he's moving faster than than you might think he is, um, and you know that's that's the foreground moves at a slower speed than the background, and the background moves at a higher speed than the foreground, just because then it throws your eyes off, uh, throws your eyes out. Like you know, if you're driving along, maybe not if you're driving, but if you're being driven along, look out the the window, and the things further away are taking longer. To 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 it, you you perceive that things long further away take longer to move than the things closer to you, and that gives you that sort of illusion of movement in video games, and and that I think is is just a wonderful thing to just throw in, just like hey, there's something going on here. You can't go and see it, but there's something going on there, which I think is is really cool because you look at real life, right? You're walking down the street, something's going on around you. You're not looking, but something's going on. So you and your like bloody it. examples. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if I remember right, uh, Shovel Knight, if I remember, is actually rendered in 3D as well to get that parallax effect. And just the, apparently the developers, when they were making it, if I remember right from what I've read, um, I forget the name of the book. I think it's called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, where they talk a little bit about it too. And just some uh, boundary break videos that I've seen as well, where they talk about how it's actually rendered in 3D to kind of help give it that parallax effect in a way that makes it easy for the developers to also work with. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense, and it, it's it's easy to it's easier to achieve that parallax. Um, uh, I I did a whole bunch of stuff in uh, in in sort of two D and three D um, back in my university days. I mean, this is decades. Uh, it's not decades ago. Well, it is decades ago. It's, it's a decade and a bit ago. Um, but yeah, I found that because uh, we were using uh, OpenGL. That's how long ago it was. OpenGL and XNA to put it on the Xbox three sixty, and yeah. Doing parallax in 3D is so much easier than doing it in, in 2D because otherwise you've got to, you've got to write the occlusion code yourself. And I was explaining this to Squidge earlier on, on a, on a live stream. Occlusion is where one object is partially blocking the view of another and you have to sort of write the code that tells it, don't draw this bit, draw that bit. And then you have to add layers and it just, it then becomes 3D without you even trying. But yeah, that's me talking about programmer stuff. I won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so. So you see, you're talking about loads of different stuff that you've put into this and, uh, and, and the, the graphic assets, the teaming up with someone to do the music. You're talking about, um, doing research by looking at how like Shovel Knight was made and, and looking into, presumably you're doing something similar to, uh, John Carmack when he was making, did you know this? I like to drop this knowledge on people <laughs> before, uh, they made the first Wolfenstein 3D game. Um, John Carmack spent the weekend rebuilding, um, Super Mario Brothers 3. On his uh, on his four eight six on his four eight six Intel you know computer and um, and uh, they sent it in to, to to Nintendo they 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 rebuilt the first level pixel perfect like he would they get I think it was John Romero was playing it on his Nintendo move forward a little bit and they would write okay that's the next row of pixels and you know rebuilt it rebuilt the first level pixel perfect because Nintendo had said at the time the NES can do 
what the PC can't because the PC at the time didn't have a GPU. And in the NES, they call it the PPU, but it's called it's the pixel processing unit rather than graphics processing unit. And um, they sent this code into Nintendo because they were saying, hey, you know, we've done the first level and it's not, you know, it's kilobytes, it's tiny. We could totally, you, if you wanted to, you can license this technology and release it on the PC. And Nintendo of America sent them a cease and desist ladder. So, <laughs> you know... <laughs> But the reason the reason I bring up that story is because you know looking at other games and finding that inspiration is uh, I think quite important. Uh, I do it with the programs that I build, you know, and and I think uh, musicians do it with the music they write, writers do it with the stories they write. But um, what I'd like to know is how long have you been working on Earthrend so far? Because like it's from what I've seen, it's a really sort of polished product, and I'd be interested to find out how long it's taken you to get to that point. Um, I'm flattered by you saying it's polished because I'm still working on making it as polished as I can. And um, I guess uh, in the when, by the time this releases, hopefully the fully polished demo should be out. But it's been a while. Um, I started in my spring semester, kind of in the middle of it. I wish I made track of the start date since it kind of started organically. Um, I'd say about seven or eight months now I'd been working on it at least. Um, yeah, it's been a while. And so, yeah, I've just been kind of working on it what time I have, and, uh, and progress is a little slower than I'd like. Well, I guess I feel like that's what a lot of development is like that, where you're not always going as fast as you like, especially for more independent projects. Um, but yeah, so I'd say about seven or eight months so far. Wow, okay. See, one developer, seven or eight months. Triple <laughs> A developers. How long has Cyberpunk been been being made now? About ninety six um, years, I think. That, yeah, that's a huge project. There's a there's a scale, right? There's a scale. <laughs> I'm just making fun. <laughs> Games I'm take just, a while to make. Yeah, well, <laughs> they 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 really do, and you know the 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 people, the market, the journalists they don't realize just how much effort goes into it. You know, like, uh, you know, I feel like we can have a chat here, Zach, about the, 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 just the amount of effort that goes into getting something up and running. Now I mentioned earlier on Squidge wrote a video game and he wrote it in a couple of hours. It's a text adventure, but even so, you know, that took a couple of solid hours of, of an investment of time. And when you're doing something with 3d or whether it's 2d or, you know, it takes a long time to write these things. So I was just making fun there. But you know, it, it's something that I feel like the uh, the the community don't really get in huge amount. They go, "Oh well, you've, you've announced the game, so it must be ready, right?" Well, no, it's not. You know, I um in November twenty nineteen. So it's November twenty twenty as we're recording this, but in October November twenty nineteen, I went to a, a video game. Uh, would you say it was a convention, Squidge? Yeah, convention, yeah. conference, whatever you want to call it's it. Called uh, EGX, the European Gamer Expo. So I suppose it's more of an expo than a convention. And they had a a Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Come and sit and watch someone play it um, thing and what they were doing was they were very, very, very tailored, very specific actions in two very specific parts of the game on an Xbox dev kit. And it was very obvious to me. I don't know whether it was obvious to the other folks in the room, but it was very obvious to me that it was like, right, okay, now that I'm done, um, somebody quick push recompile and send the other level over, you know what I mean? And then <laughs> that's fair enough. But, but the thing is that people see that and they think, oh, well, it's done. It must be done because otherwise you wouldn't be showing me it. And I think that's more, that's more like a symptom of the modern video game market. And I think we touched on this with, uh, with Charles from, 
from Cavalier Studios when we interviewed him and he said, you know, the, the amount of times that you see like an advert for a game and there's nothing there, but they've already said, yeah, yeah, we're announcing this brand new game. And it's like, we've got some, got some, uh, some, what was it concept art? And that's it. You know, it ends up being this vaporware product and the market gets hugely excited about it and nothing ever happens. And I feel like that happens a lot in video games. Cause it's like, we need to be the next big thing on everyone's on everyone's minds rather than let's release it and see what happens. But I suppose that's how advertising works, right? I've gone on a bit of a tangent there. I do want to look at this. That's a very fair tangent. Coming back to Earthwind then. So uh, Squidge and I played the the demo a few days ago, and we went through it a couple of times. Um, and, you know, there's, there's like 15, 20 minutes, half an hour of, of content there, just like, oh, what, I wonder what's over here, and how do I jump and get this? And, you know, so what about the, the what's the scale of the full game going to be? You said that hopefully by the this time this comes out, it will be released, right? But what's the scale of the game going to be? And and that's like the vis- visual scale. You said earlier when you want to be able to zoom all the way out, you want to try and, and play with the camera so you can zoom all the way out and just see the character is maybe one pixel or something. But along with that, what's like the the the, the playtime going to be? Is it going to be, oh, I'm playing this for 20 minutes, I'm playing this for several hours, I'm playing this for a couple of days? Yeah, what's yeah, the- yeah, yeah, yeah. One question at a time. All right, yeah, good point. Yeah, I'm asking about a million all at once. <laughs> okay, so off the top of my head, how big it'll be? Well, it partially depends also because I want to go to Kickstarter after, um, because by the time this is released, um, I want to have a full demo made that's like completely polished where people can play to see my idea and stuff. Not the full game, like you said, where it's like recompile, recompile, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, so I want to be able to have that by then, but it partially depends on how much uh, funding I get. I don't need a ton of funding, but. I would say however long an average, I don't know, like, it's really hard to say, but I'm hoping for at least like a like a week, maybe two weeks of solid gameplay from the player. It just depends on how like intense they're playing it, but something like where you'd expect sure. from like a fully polished uh, Zelda game, funny enough, just since that's kind of my um, my baseline for what I want the player to experience, I want them to feel like it's like a whole story um, that should be at least... I'd say five dungeons that I want the player to be able to go through each of them, like a little mini Metroidvania, but depending on funding and stuff, there's at least going to be, I'd say two or three other dungeons that would go in there that I would like to have in the game. If my full sort of vision is achieved, which would probably add on to it. Um, but that's more for completionists. Those things, they'd be optional content. Um, either way, I want to make the full sort of game that's going to be behind everything. So I'd say at least like two weeks worth Unless, like, I guess you binge it, then maybe a few days if you're, like, really crazy on it. Um, but yeah, I want it to really feel like this um, big sort of world. Not as big and crazy as Hollow Knight, because I don't know what those developers did. They might have been on um, some um, certain uh, substances. <laughs> I don't know how they got all of it done. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Trying to find a nice way to say that. Um and I'm just one person. I can't go that crazy, but I would like it to feel like a full-fledged experience for the players um, beyond just 20, 30 minutes, I would say. Okay. That's cool. 
That's cool. I mean, that's fair enough, right? You've got a, you've got this idea. You've got the solid ground. Let's see if we can expand on it. That makes total sense to me. Because otherwise, you know, you don't want to spend your evenings and weekends. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you want to spend your evenings and weekends on a passion project, and then it kind of. I hope this doesn't happen, but maybe it fizzles out, you know. But if you can get the 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 people on board and you say, look, this is something I'm excited about. This is something I want to make, and let's look. We've got 50 people who want to buy it, or 50 people who want to back it. Fantastic. That's enough of an excuse that I can tell my girlfriend, no, I'm working today on the game. You're gonna have to go and do whatever it is you want to do. You have to go do the grocery shopping by yourself because these people have paid me to. I mean, that's my excuse. I don't know whether that's your excuse. <laughs> I'd like to make time for both. I think I could. I'd hope so. Um, of course, of course. So, um, so what about? So we've talked about the, the the game as a as a as a as a sort of like as a digital product so far, right? We've talked about it's got these this wonderful uh, hand drawn assets. It's got this wonderful music. It's got. Uh, we haven't really touched on like the story or anything that's actually happening in the game. Is that something that's already crafted all the way out? You've already thought of this is what I want. You've said there's going to be at least hopefully five dungeons and a, you know two or three weeks of of content to sit through. Um, what's the actual can you give away parts of the story? Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening in the game? Yeah, I don't know how many people are going to watch this, but I'm going to just, um, I think I'd divulge a little bit just, you know, for, you know, sneak peek since this is in the middle of a sure. podcast and all. Um, I've thought about kind of the higher level stuff. And if I'm able to go for my full vision, I want it to be a sort of thing where you could choose to side with either the perceived uh, good side or the perceived bad side and i want it to kind of be where there's a bit of a twist in the game where if you play through enough you could realize potentially how you're actually working for the not so good individuals although i might leave it more up to interpretation where either side is kind of gray but i'm thinking depending on how the player goes along as well the artwork and the world will change based off of the different actions that they go in either direction where depending on if they choose to side with these invaders who are actually taking over your world, um, if they choose to side with them, the world will kind of open up and you might get to see things like people kind of moving around and, um, how do I say, like different interconnected areas where you might not otherwise see them. And there'd be different towns and such that would develop based on the actions you take. It'd be kind of, a, it's probably going to be a bit of a pain to implement, but I think it'll be very, 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 very worth it. Um, and alongside that, part of the story is as you go through and complete each dungeon, no matter the side you pick, the world will slowly start to reawaken because I want the world to look like it's dead after they leave the first area based off of the story going on there where these worlds are kind of, where these sort of areas are kind of stuck in, um, how do you say, like kind of dead sta- dead states? Um, and then like say, limbo. yeah, it's like different limbo states. And say you go to like the water area where like there's like a icy mountain. If you go in there and then you complete the dungeon, there'll actually be water across the entire world again and in areas that you wouldn't expect. And that would also open up things for gameplay. Like maybe you could unlock secrets you wouldn't otherwise be able to see. Just uh, different stuff like that. I hope I'm not going on too long about that, but I think that's related to the question. Just, yeah, that's one thing I want different is you could choose different paths that would lead to different endings. And there could potentially even be um, sort of stuff in between. Cool. Yeah. No, that 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 makes perfect sense to me. Um, and and it sounds really awesome uh, being able to sort of 
directly affect the world around you if it, if it comes off. I mean, so yeah, I really hope all that works out. Uh, I really do because I can see this project going really far, if I'm honest. It's, it, the demo is really polished. And, you know, if you can get yourself some funding from maybe Kickstarter or whatever it is and take it even further, I, I can see this being played really well you know i enjoyed playing the demo so let's get this sorted right <laughs> i mean i'm not in charge of that but there you go um so what about um catching up with the development of the game then is there like a, a twitter or a, a like a dev blog or vlog or something people can sort of catch up with uh yeah i have an instagram at uh earthrend game one word um just both together smushed together and I have a YouTube channel called, um, should be called Laughing Gollum, where you can also check out the development. I try to post as much as I can on there, just kind of showing off what's going on. And then I don't update the blog too much, but I do have a blog as well on laughinggollumstudio.com, where you can also check out the game and its progress. Um, and you can also go and get the demo from there, because it links to my itch.io. So that's just kind of your one stop if you want to see all the stuff going on. Sure. Okay. So, uh, Potentially, by the time this comes out, there may be some news on there about what's next, I guess. Yeah, so hopefully, if everything's going all right, either a Kickstarter will be going on or has gone on and um, funding for the game is sorted out. If not, if there's not a Kickstarter yet, it should be coming up soon, just depending on how long it takes to polish everything up, because that could take longer than planned. But yeah, so either Kickstarter has or will be going on or yeah, there you go. So just cool. take a look out for that. Okay, cool. Well, um, I'll make a point of putting loads of links in the show notes to all the sites you said there, the YouTube channel, the uh, Laughing Golem Studios, the Instagram page, all that kind of stuff. And uh, and, and I'll keep an eye on um, announcements on the website. And if something comes out before the episode comes out, I'll link to that too. Um, but yeah, that's been, that's been awesome. Uh, Zach, I, I really enjoyed having a chat with you today about, uh, about uh, Earthrend. And I honestly wish you the best of luck with it. I, I'm hoping that it'll come out and that I can play the full version of the story pretty soon. But of course, that's time permitting. So there you go. Thanks for being on the show, Zach. I really appreciate it. Thank you both for having me on. It's been pretty, it's been my pleasure. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> something to look forward to. Keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that's another episode of the Waffling Tailors that you've all gone to listen to. Um, I obviously am Jay. We've got Squidgy over there, Me. um, in, in audio land. He's been a, a little, a little more quiet than usual, but don't worry, listeners. I assure you he's there. Um, if you wanted <laughs> to find out more about us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook as Waffling Tailors. Just literally search there, or you can go facebook.com slash Waffling Tailors, twitter.com slash Waffling Tailors. I've, Pretty much got those two down on lock. Uh, we've got wafflingtailors.rocks, which is the website. All of these links that to things that Zachary's been mentioned, uh, that Zach has mentioned, and anything that we've mentioned, the games and stuff. Um, I'll see if I can find the the blog entries for um, for for things like uh, castle crashes and stuff. Put those in the show notes. Um, all of those will be in the show notes that are on the website. So yeah, definitely check those out. And I guess all that really remains to say is uh, see you later, Zach. See you around, Jay, and see you around Squidge. Hey. Or is it Squidgy? Ooh. Either. <laughs> okay. Oh, Either see you later, Squidgy. See you later. See you around.
Intro music is Among the Stars by Muse Station Productions. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GH. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleanser music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Dagay. See the show notes for more details. The Waffling Tailors podcast is a proud member of the J&J Media Network. To find out more about J&J Media, head over to jayandjay.media or check the show notes for a link.